0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a AM member FDIC. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Keeping your office running like a well-oiled power play. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 630, Chad. All right, it's 1233 at Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott Scott with you. Reminder you, you can text us at any time on the Ashley 5 Floors text line 7804960063 Chuba Hubbard is the uh star tailback for Oklahoma State uh, OSU uh, Oklahoma by the way got upset this week uh, big upset in NCAA college football Chuba off to a pedestrian I mean look this this is an unbelievable story they've asked him to do some things um uh, that's going to help him in the pro game and uh, teams are really keying off jamming eight players in a box, making it difficult to run. But I always, uh, I'm pleased that NCAA college football is back. Alabama routing Missouri Saturday night as well. Alfonso Davies and Byron Munich lost yesterday for about the first time in 40 days. I know I communicated with a, a player this morning about that. Uh, just to, what's going on? He's like Bob. They just played Thursday. They're tired, so they ended up going a full 120. Uh, well, it was Vince Lombardi that once said, "Fatigue makes cowards of us all." Uh, we will bring aboard uh, John Shannon, but go down a completely different path. John Shannon is today's orders now headliner for Touchback Safety. Your safety is their goal. Discover your training safety training solutions at TouchbackSafety.com. Just to confirm, uh, John Shannon, our NHL insider, you 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 were not actually in Russia. For the Summit Series, because today, John, is the 48th anniversary. I was at Robert Rundle Elementary uh, in the first of my three years of grade one, the best three years of my life. And uh, anyhow, I digress. Uh, I watched uh, game eight and Paul Henderson score arguably the most famous goal in Canadian history. Where were you in 72?
1: Uh, well, it's it's a long, wandering story, Bob, but it, it, the, the quick version is I was in grade 10, um, and uh, the night before uh, I had a long, extended conversation with the principal of my high school to allow us to have televisions in the classroom so we could watch the game. And uh, the principal allowed that to happen, and we all got to watch the game.
0: There you go. So you were ahead of your time. You were already uh, helping uh, produce television. (laughs) For for the record, for for the
1: record, it was a conversation we had at home because my dad was the principal of the high school, and we got into it. He about how important how important it was to watch this monkey game, and he finally relented.
0: Uh, my dad was not the biggest hockey fan, but I remember watching that with him in Game One in particular, and I became about val- at six. I'm like that that number seventeen for for the Soviets. That guy's pretty good. And that was yeah. val- Valery Harlemov. But it, yeah. but think how incredibly. Like, is there any way to explain to our listeners, maybe under the age of 40, just how different international politics was at this time and why this event? Because it wasn't supposed to be that big, of, or was it a big event when it actually started, Canada, against uh, the USSR?
1: Oh, I, I think it was. Uh, I, I think the build-up, the lead-up to it uh, on, on multiple levels, the first thing was... You know, we sent two scouts over to to look at the uh, Soviet players, and and, uh, and the two scouts came back and said, "There's no way that we're going to lose a game. We're going to win every game eight to one. They're not very good. They don't have any goaltending." Um, and and that was the type of uh, that was the type of expectation we had. And then when the first game was played in Montreal, uh, it, it, in in August, by the way, um, and the and, and they destroyed us. They beat us. I think seven three was the final score. Oh, yeah, uh, that that changed the whole complexion of it. And and then and on game four in Vancouver where we lost again, and and the Canadian fans at the Coliseum uh, booed Canada off the ice and booed the tactics that we had in the third period. Uh, that was part and parcel of. Of why this whole event grew and grew and grew over a month, because remember they played four games in Canada, basically took ten days off, and then played four games at the end of the month uh, in uh, at the Lysniki Ice Palace in um, in Moscow, and and so it, it truly became something that consumed it consumed the country the interesting thing bob was in in 1972 there was probably 20 to 21 million people in canada um there's a there there's a belief that 16 million of 21 million watched the game in game eight so that tells you how that tells you how consumed we were by it
0: now it needs to be stated yes canada Mm -hmm. completely underestimated how good the russians were but Bobby Orr was the most dynamic player of that era. He was out with a knee injury and Bo- and Bobby Hall was considered maybe the most explosive forward and some sort of political BS because he signed with the WHA, uh, they basically wouldn't let him play on the team. So they were d- they were down a couple of their better players and wasn't the didn't Trechak Get uh, married the day before the scouts saw him play, and as legend has it, and he had a poor performance. and didn't think he was any good, and yeah, I, and that's and, the,
1: that's the story. That's the story of Laurie. He was uh, badly over the day of uh, the day that uh, that the two scouts from who oh, by the way, I think were were Toronto Maple Leafs scouts, Bob Davidson and John McClellan. McClellan, uh, they were the ones who uh, who said that they didn't have any goaltending on that team.
0: Yeah, well, of course, Trecek became a huge star. We're joined by John Shannon, our NHL insider. So uh, Johnny Esau has a memorable interview with Phil Esposito. Did Esposito become the de facto leader of that team?
1: Oh, no question, and it was by then too. Uh, it was by it was by the time they they left uh, they left Canada, uh, and uh, you, you know, and, and really remember remember Harry Swindon been uh, had decided not to accept Bruins contract. Uh, to coach the the Boston team, so he was the head coach for, and this was the only thing he coached that seventy one seventy two year. Uh, and Phil was his, uh, Phil was his best player on the Bruins, so there was a, a, a huge chemistry there between Esposito and Cindan that allowed uh, allowed the team to kind of uh, bind together behind. Uh, Bill
0: esposito i mean this was a time frame politically in which you know we were at the height of the cold war there was generally speaking distrust for eastern europeans uh but even in team canada's ranks you had guys from the rangers that didn't like the bruins you had guys from boston that didn't like guys from montreal like these guys had never really played together had they john
1: no not really i mean you, you, you saw most of these guys together in all-star games uh mid-season all-star games in uh, in the nhl but uh and remember, Bob, this was really, in many ways, our um, re-entry into international hockey. We, we were angry uh, the, the way that uh, we were treated uh, by the IIHF and a guy named Bunny Ahern, who was the longtime president of the federation. And we opted out of playing in world championships, and we opted out of, uh, of, of playing in Olympics because they did not allow us to take pros. Whereas we were adamant that the Russians were pros and the Czechs were pros, um, but they wouldn't let us take our pros to to those events. So after the Grenoble Olympics in '68, we we literally walked away from international hockey until Alan Eagleson and Joe Kuska, uh, uh, you know, built uh this relationship with the with the soviets to to play this the, the first summit
0: series so canada goes over there they get down uh what three was it three one and one i'm trying to or uh anyways they lose game five they, they won That's game right. they won game two and they tied game three they lose game five so now they're in trouble oh. and and they got to win the final three games and paul henderson i mean talk about mr opportunistic yeah, game-winning goal
1: at Alter in games 6, 7, and 8. Uh, and actually, had Canada held on to win game 5, the first game in Moscow, he would have had the game-winning goal as well. So from from that perspective, Paul Henderson played his greatest hockey uh, over a, a 10-day period in Moscow in 1972.
0: Does Canada win if Bobby Clark doesn't break Valerie Harlamov's ankle?
1: Well, I mean, we'll never know, right? I mean, we'll never know, but I suspect—I suspect, I suspect that, that at a certain way, we, they would have found something to uh, to come come away with the victory. I, I still have faith. Our biggest issue, in my opinion, Bob, our biggest issue through the whole 8 game series was our goaltending. Right, it wasn't scoring goals. I mean, we our goaltending, uh, and, and the, there were three goalies: Tony Zito jury achievers, and. Uh, and Ken Dryden, we, you know, our, our goaltenders struggled, and and they had a difficult time uh, getting used to the, the way the, the Soviets moved the puck from left to right. Yeah. Uh, at a time when you know all of them, I mean, Chivas was a stand-up goalie, Dryden was a stand-up goalie, and and uh, Esposito was a classic butterfly guy, and we had trouble with it. Tony, Tony Esposito, uh, really, in my mind, was the was the catalyst in games. 6-7, and, and then I think there were a lot of us surprised that uh, that in fact, Sinden went back to Dryden for Game 8. And after the second period, when it was 5-3 for the Russians, or for the Soviets rather, 5-3 for the Soviets, we thought the decision to play Dryden was a hit, terrible mistake.
0: Yeah, Esposito had legendary uh, a, a reputation for having depth. Perce- he got beat on a lot of long goals. People thought he had depth perception issues, and that's why he gave up so many. I remember Jacques Lemaire got him. Uh, was that 71? I think it was 71 in the uh, yeah, yeah. In, a, in the playoffs that year. We're joined by John Shannon, our NHL insider. All right, John, uh, no positive tests again today. So for the NHL and the bubble, there are over 33,000 tests done. They haven't had a positive test. Suffice to say, the bubble has worked. Uh, is tonight going to. I think the series ends tonight. What about you? Well, I thought the series was going to end on Saturday. Um,
1: so for me to say it ends tonight, I, I and quite honestly, right now, Bob, I don't know. Um, yeah. Y- y- I, I, I don't know. I mean, w- w- the fire wagon hockey that we expected out of Tampa to be able to, you know, basically push not physically, but push push the puck and push Dallas around has not really occurred on a regular basis. Um, and, and you have to give credit to those big four D-men of Dallas, Alexiak, Klingberg, Heiskanen, and Lindell, who have, I mean, all of them were over 33 minutes on Saturday because Sucker uh, couldn't play very much. I mean, he didn't play Hanley very much. Their defense did a marvelous job in my mind. Um, and it's, it's defense first right now for Dallas wait for a mistake, defense first, score a goal, and some veteran leadership from two guys that Jim Neal got last summer. It's uh, it's, it's pretty impressive uh, what Dallas has done. So uh, if da- if Dallas wins tonight, I would not be surprised. I, I really huh? wouldn't.
0: All right. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but uh, you're a guy that has league sources. Uh, it's been a wonderful story. It's worked mm-hmm. well for Edmonton. Uh, I know not everybody – look, the Oilers got eliminated early. All that being said, this thing has worked. Um, what's the league going to do in twenty twenty one? Do you have any idea?
1: Um, well, I, I mean, I, it, the players' association and league have had uh, have started their talks about how to manage it. Uh, I think that there's been and, and the, the, it's all been uh, documented uh, in the media how the players have felt about the bubble. Um, you know what they what they've learned about the bubble, how disappointed certain aspects of the bubble. Uh, have been, but it's worked. Uh, that said, I, I suspect that what we're going to see, is we're not going to see bubbles, but we're going to see what I would describe as pods. Uh, and Canada would be a pod. And, and, and I think the NHL will have learned with what Major League Baseball has done, probably better than the NFL has done, that allows teams to play in their home arenas uh, and uh, and travel without fans in the arenas. And I suspect that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a Canada division, a Northeast division, a Southwest division, and probably something in the Central. Uh, Remember, at this point, we still don't know in 2021, Bob, uh, if and when we can cross the border. All right. The federal government's not going to allow that to happen. They didn't allow it for baseball. They're not going to allow it for hockey.
0: I know a lot of people are concerned. there's 700 positive tests for COVID today in Ontario. They need to realize there were 36,000 tests completed, so that'll drive your numbers up there a bit. Uh, That said, it's still concerning. You mentioned the border and you mentioned the Canada division, so I'm going to take that one step further. You're going to need players as well, and you're going to need to be able to move guys up and down theoretically from the minors. Four of the seven Canadian teams have their AHL affiliates in Canada. Does it make sense?
1: But, Bob, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that minor pro hockey is going
0: to start. Absolutely. There is no guarantee. And so maybe you have a taxi squad. But conversely, maybe what you end up doing is, since you've already got uh, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, and Winnipeg in Canada for the AHL, would it make sense, John, in your world, for the other three Canadian teams, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary, to investigate... Ontario communities that do not have OHL teams uh, like maybe Edmonton splits Bakersfield in Brantford and so they basically play in a league that goes from Laval to Winnipeg with five of the seven teams in Ontario and that way they can move guys in and around Canada because they're not crossing the border other than the first time they come into the country does that make any sense at all?
1: Well I I think it, it, it might make some sense to a certain point the the other way to look at it is, is, is find ways Perhaps with um, with Vancouver, who are in Utica, New York, still, uh, and um, and Calgary and Edmonton, uh, to to actually, you know, find a way to do it in Manitoba and just do a fourteen division and only you know, that that, the, that allows the Jets, who have their minor league team in the same arena, to to do it that way. I, I think they're going to explore everything, but I think is a bigger concern because the league. The league has had meetings with all different levels of, of hockey leagues, whether it be junior and college, uh, and the AHL and the ECHL, to discuss what what the what the winter is going to look like, and that is truly a concern. We may we may see, and the pandemic may force a redefinition of what farm team hockey is all about, and it may that may not be for the short term. That may be for the long term when you think about the cost of doing business.
0: John, as always, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. We'll hook up on Wednesday, okay? Okay, Bob. Talk to you later. You bet. That's our NHL insider, John Shannon. For Touchback Safety, that's your Oilers now headliner. Touchback Safety, your safety's their goal. Discover your safety training solutions at touchbacksafety.com. And a reminder that Roos Chris Steakhouse, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated. Open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 99.90 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. We'll take a break. Uh We'll get to the injury report. For our friends at James H. Brown Injury Lawyers, and a bunch of your texts on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. You're listening to Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6:30. Chat. 12.52 12.52 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stafford, Brendan Escout with you on orders. Now. We're going to bring in Brendan at this time for the injury report for James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Trent Brown, many of you know, uh, all-star safety for the Edmonton Eskimos, who won a great cup in 1993 and uh, went on to uh, law school. He is with JamesHBrown.com. Uh, when accidents happen, uh, go to James H. Brown. Well, here we go, man. we got... Game six night. do or die for the Dallas Stars. Once again, here's Brendan Escott.
1: Well, their uh opposing captain there, Steven Stamkos, he's not dressing for the remainder of the cup final, but that is the only thing from Tampa to report. Whereas with Dallas, Blake Como, Radic Faxa, Steven Johns, Ben Bishop all remember uh excuse me, remain unfit to participate. As is Rupe hints, he did not dress for Game Five either. And now Andre Sekara is a game time decision for tonight. There
0: you have it. Um, Mark in St. Albert says, Hey, Stoffery, he text us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. I, I prefer Bob. Uh, hey, Bob, what do you know about the Polly RV signing with the Oilers? The media pundits were saying that you suggested that he was coming back. Is that true? Uh, from Mark in, uh, St. Albert. This is a different Mark than the other Mark that, uh, we've got about five different marks to Texas show. Well, now I'm having to go back and take a look at exactly how I worded the tweet, uh, which would have been last week, probably five or six days ago. Four days ago, distinct possibility that we see, yes, a returned to Edmonton orders on a short-term deal. New general manager head coach since Polyarvy was last in Edmonton. Polyarvy's agency has merged with Connor McDavid's agency. Uh, Oilers uh, would have six right wings could result in a right wing being moved for a left wing. I would suggest to you that tracer fire out there would suggest uh, we are headed to an inevitable reunion. Uh, I spoke to somebody on the weekend that said Paul Yarvey is simply too good for the league that he's in right now. Um, somebody that's quite familiar with the situation in Carpat. Um and that it might not help Jesse's game if he plays in that league for a second full season. That he probably needs to get back to North America. Uh, when Paul Yarvey left, uh, he was very frustrated. The owners have since hired Ken Holland and Dave Tippett. They've reached out to Paul Yarvey's camp. Marcus Lato and Acme uh, was uh, purchased by Wasserman. Wasserman is the agency that's got Connor McDavid. Um, and then in terms, people say, well, what about a trade? The problem is I don't know if you're going to get valuation for the player in a trade at this time. See, you might want to try to re-energize the player, get them going uh, in your organization. So I think there's a distinct possibility we see Paul Yarvey here. And if that happens, the owners will have six right wings. They'll have Caskin, Yamamoto, Josh Archibald, uh, Alex Jason, Patrick Russell, and then Paul Yarvey. Now Archibald can play left wing. Yamamoto obviously is an important part of the Oilers' top six. Maybe to start, Pogliarvi would be on like a third line, so there's not a ton of pressure, so he can get good matchups against opposition teams, bottom six forwards, third pairing, that sort of thing, and have a chance to play his way up in the lineup. Uh, This text uh, has come in saying, hey, Bob, Cowtown Bob here, as much as we... Dislike Justin Trudeau in Alberta or Trudeau in Alberta. It was Pierre that originally floated the idea of Canada and the USSR playing some friendly hockey game with his <laughs> uh, communist buddies in Moscow. It turned out to be a beautiful thing. Uh, I, I, if, if you have any sense or appreciation of history in this country, you don't have to like a lot of what Pierre Trudeau did. Uh, that's say as Justice Minister, uh, Justice Minister in 1968. Uh, He was one of those guys that I believe it was his quote, uh, the government has no place in the bedroom. Uh, He was probably years ahead of his time. Uh, Politically, he had real gravitas. Pierre Trudeau did. That is my personal interpretation as a, a very poor political science student at the University of Alberta never voted uh well i didn't vote for him uh but uh and i did vote for Mulrooney, and that did not end well in his second term but uh, Mulrooney was a a social conservative as a prime minister uh, again you can text us at 780 496 you can look it up uh but anyways pierre certainly internationally had a good reputation was seen as a smart man pierre trudeau was keep texas at 780 4960063 uh more texts coming in bob is there any orders moves or trades in the works or anything close maybe holland is waiting for the playoffs to uh in the end to get the ball rolling edmonton has roughly by my count about six million dollars in cap space i really i realize cap friendly has the orders at around 11 but I have factored in Gaetan Haas, Joe Kim Nygaard, Patrick Russell, uh, Evan Bouchard on the Oilers' main team uh, and w- with a salary in the low ones for Ethan Bear, who, again, does not have arbitration rights. So I got the Oilers at about $75 million, my guess is Edmonton will split their overage, which was around 680,000 uh, bonus overage from this past season. You can spread it out over the next two years. Wouldn't surprise me if Edmonton splits that, that's about 350,000 a year. So I got the orders of about 75 million. So unless you're subtracting salary, it's going to be hard to make a significant addition. Um, The Oilers need another goaltender, uh, a goalie that's at least a one B to Koskinen's one A, probably in the three million dollar range. Probably has about two million bucks to spend on a second line center, maybe a million bucks on a uh, or sorry third line center, and maybe a million bucks on another winger. There is an excellent series being currently written by Woodguy that goes into, I think today did Carl Soderbergh, that goes into lots of uh, different options at center, and he grades it in a whole bunch of different categories. You might want to check that out on Twitter as well. Again, you can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Bob, to me, if you can move a Mark Stahl contract, you should be able to move out a Russell Chase on or Larson trio for Cap Relief. Well, let's not forget the New York Rangers included a second-round draft choice in that deal to move out Mark Stahl at five point seven million. The Oilers don't have a. If anything, I could see the Oilers looking to add a second rounder if they move down on the draft if the guy that they like at fourteen isn't there. But the Rangers had two number ones. They had their number one, which ultimately got them Alexis Lafreniere, uh, and then they got a number one from was it Carolina. They ended up getting another number one. So that's why they could afford to move the number two to Detroit. So Eiserman adds another second-round pick for taking on Stahl's money. Uh, Larson, I, I think, could be potentially moved for a cheaper player. I could see a team needing a right shot a defender and, and maybe – moving a cheaper forward back or something like that. Time will tell in that regard. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Sam Gagne, former Oiler, two tours of duty, uh, and he's re-signed with the Detroit Red Wings. We look forward to hooking up with him at uh, 105. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.